RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines. An Australian judge resigns from Hong Kong's top court, reportedly over the national security law. Yan Chan is out of LegCo after losing a court battle over a by-election two years ago. And US officials order a ban on downloads of Chinese-owned mobile apps WeChat and TikTok. An Australian judge has resigned from Hong Kong's Court of Final Appeal, reportedly because of the territory's national security law. Vicky Wong has details. The Chief Executive's Office says Justice James Spiegelman offered his resignation as a non-permanent judge of the Court of Final Appeal on September the 2nd. The office says no reason was given for the resignation, which was accepted by C.E. Carrie Lam. Justice Spiegelman's move came just a day after Mrs. Lam declared that Hong Kong does not have a separation of powers between the different branches of government. Australian broadcaster ABC says Mr Spiegelman told them that he resigned for reasons related to the content of the national security legislation. Beijing and SAR officials have denied claims by the Bar Association and others that the security law undermines the independence of the judiciary. Meanwhile, relations between Australia and China have deteriorated in recent months, notably after Canberra called for a full investigation into the coronavirus pandemic, which began in the mainland city of Wuhan. Three other Australian judges still serve on the Hong Kong court. The lawmaker representing the legal sector, Dennis Kwok, says the judge's resignation comes as a surprise and he's worried it could create a ripple effect. He has served Hong Kong well. He served the Court of Final Appeal with dedication and his judgment and his speeches outside of the court has always command immense respect amongst the legal community. I've read reports from Australia news channel that he resigned because of the national security law. Now, if that is true, it shows that the legal community around the world is losing confidence and faith in the Hong Kong rule of law as a result of the national security law. And it's very sad, but it's inevitable consequence. Pro-Beijing lawmaker Yan Chan has failed in her attempt to overturn a court decision which removed her from office. Court of Final Appeal has rejected her challenge against the ruling that found the by-election she won was improperly held. Damon Pang reports. Yan Chan was seeking to overturn a high court ruling that there was a clear material irregularity in the Kowloon West by-election she won in November 2018. The high court judge had said the returning officer for the poll should have given pro-democracy candidate Lao Silai a chance to explain her political views before she was disqualified on the grounds that she wouldn't uphold the basic law. The returning officer, Franco Kwok, joined Yen Chen in taking the matter to the city's top court. He said the court should decide whether he was right, that Ms Lao would not uphold the basic law because she had advocated self-determination for the Hong Kong people, and if he was right, then there was no irregularity in the by-election. The three-judge panel dismissed this, saying it would provide the reasons for its decision at a later date. Ms Chan says she is now temporarily out of LegCo. She says although she was prepared for this outcome, it's still hard to accept. I just feel a little bit disappointed. If you ask me is that unfair, I can only reply that I can't do anything to change the result right now because all the responsibility is about the procedure before the election. Ms Lau, meanwhile, says the court still hasn't addressed the underlying political reasons behind the legal disqualifications in recent years. It's a pity that the ruling of this case is not enough to protect our rights to be elected. 
And I hope that this case will inspire the Hong Kong people to fight for our own rights. Ms Chan says there should not be a by-election for her seat for now because of the pandemic. Ms Lau says there should be a by-election, while electrical president Andrew Leung notes that it's the government that gets to decide. And the Constitutional and Mainland Affairs Bureau says there are no plans to hold a by-election for the seat vacated by Yan Chan. It says the government is focused on tackling the pandemic at the moment and the polling process could bring health risks to voters. U.S. officials have ordered a ban on downloads of the Chinese-owned mobile applications WeChat and TikTok. The ban, which is to take effect on Sunday, comes amid rising U.S.-China tensions over technology and a Trump administration effort to engineer a sale of the video app TikTok to American investors. U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross says the Chinese Communist Party has demonstrated the means and motives to use the apps to threaten America's national security and economy. Tune to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The High Court has ruled that same-sex couples who marry overseas must be allowed to inherit each other's estates like other married couples, even if no will had been prepared. Maggie Hill reports. The legal challenge over inheritance was brought by Edgar Ng, who married his husband in London in 2017. When he later bought a flat under the government's home ownership scheme, he found out that his husband couldn't be a joint owner, and without a will, he wouldn't automatically inherit the property if Mr Ng were to die. During the judicial review, the government argued that giving inheritance rights to same-sex couples would undermine the traditional institution of marriage. But Judge Anderson Chow said that claim was illogical. Ruling in favor of Mr. Ng, he ordered the government to make a declaration on how the relevant provisions of the law will be reinterpreted. The judge noted, however, that his ruling does not apply to other forms of unions, such as civil partnerships. The lawyers representing Mr. Ng welcomed the court's decision, calling it a significant step towards equality for same-sex couples and a victory for the entire LGBT community in Hong Kong. But the court also rejected another case, one launched by activist Jimmy Sham, who said the government should recognize his same-sex marriage that was registered in New York in 2013. The judge said Mr. Sham's application was wrong in principle and too ambitious. He said the challenge was too broad in the scope and hadn't pinpointed any particular decisions that the court differential treatment based on sexual orientation. A pressure group set up last year to push for legislation for same-sex unions, Hong Kong Marriage Equality, said it was disappointed by the ruling. But it added that the victory in the other case sends a clear signal to society that the unequal treatment of same-sex couples is not justified. Health Secretary Sophia Chan has warned that the next wave of coronavirus infections, which is expected in the winter, could be even more serious than the recent third wave. She's announced that people working in high-risk sectors, including care homes, restaurants, wet markets and transport, will be offered regular COVID-19 tests. Professor Chan says 5,000 employees could be tested each day. It is still voluntary, but then, of course, we strongly encourage people to take the test because if they are high-risk groups or high-exposure groups, it is important uh, that they test. And I'm sure, you know, uh, further to the uh, experience that I think Hong Hong Kong people have gained through the universal community testing program, people would know more about testing and understand and have experienced uh, these virus testing as well. 
Ocean Park has been welcoming its first visitors in more than two months, albeit with a reduced capacity and anti-epidemic measures to guard against COVID-19. Wong Yinting reports. The gates at Ocean Park are open once again, but temperature checks at the turnstiles are a reminder that things aren't completely back to normal. Please use hand sanitizers before entering the attraction and keep a healthy social distance. Capacity of the theme park has been halved. Guests will be required to wear their masks at all times. And some attractions will remain closed because of the anti-epidemic restrictions. Timothy Ng is Ocean Park's Executive Director of Operations and Entertainment. According to the latest requirements, the indoor facilities we cannot offer live performance. So one of our very popular kids' whisker theatre, we cannot operate the shows during this period of time. But after all, that's we believe the measures that we deployed would be adequate and effective to protect the guests, the staff and also the animals. The theme park has been shut down twice this year because of the coronavirus, but was given the OK to reopen on Tuesday after the recent drop in local infections. Mr. Ng says they hope to bring Hong Kong residents back with new attractions that make use of the park's natural resources. They are set to announce camping and yoga and hope to link up with Southern District to offer things like sampan tours. So we're developing all these different activities to bring in the local guests, give them a new experience, even though they come to the same ocean park, but the whole experience and the whole new programs will be different. But for these visitors, it's ocean parks tried and tested attractions that have brought them back. Actually, I would just want to play the roller coasters and maybe chit chat with friends and have a ha- have a fun day here. My daughter really want to uh, see the fish and panda and see the other animals in the ocean park. The roller coaster, Gus is. They are also unfazed by the anti-epidemic measures. They say they are just happy to have somewhere to go. I'm so excited because I very long uh, cannot come to Ocean Park and I'm so bored in home. It's been uh, eight months since I've been here to play and I think the games here is very interesting and it's really suits me. It's good. It's good for for them to have some activities outside that is uh, much better comparing to stay at home. Unions have lambasted the government's employment support scheme after it emerged that almost a quarter of firms who received money in the first round of payments had been ordered to give some of it back. Candice Wong reports. About 20,000 employers received money from the job retention program, but the government said 23% of them, around 4,600 firms, had broken the regulations for the support scheme. They had either not fully used the subsidy to pay wages in June or July, or had sacked staff. As well as returning any of the subsidy that's not been spent, the companies will also have to pay a penalty, the amount of which will be deducted from funds they receive under the second tranche of the scheme. The chairwoman of the Confederation of Trade Unions, Carol Ng, says that shows the ineffectiveness of the scheme's design and penalty system. The purposes of the ESS was originally trying to help those workers in need, according to the government but it doesn't seem like that. And the um, so-called penalty regime that trying to applicable by the government is not that effective at all because the so-called penalty is returning those money back to the government's hands. So who will get benefit out from that? 
it will be no one. And it gives no demonstrations to any other employers and then they should follow the criteria accordingly. One business owner, a Mr Zheng, called in to RTHK's Millennium Programme to say he didn't bother to apply for even a single cent of the wage support subsidy. He stressed that he hasn't sacked any staff since and accused the government of being incompetent for failing to give the money directly to workers. Another caller, Miss Ho, used to work in retail. She said she had been out of work for a long time and felt sad that the government seems to have forgotten about the unemployed. Miss Ho urged the government to set up a temporary assistance fund for the jobless. Security Secretary John Lee says he's not worried that foreign countries will sanction Hong Kong and stop training with the SAR's police force over concerns about the national security law. In an interview with Phoenix TV, he said officers will have training for mainland departments on national security matters. He also said he's not worried that the police will have trouble procuring equipment in future, adding that mainland technology is world class. Taiwan's Defence Ministry says it scrambled fighter jets today after 18 PLA aircraft crossed the midline of the Taiwan Strait. The reported incursions came as U.S. Undersecretary for Economic Affairs Keith Cratch visited Taipei, where he's having talks with President Tsai Ing-wen. Beijing said this morning that it had begun military drills near the Taiwan Strait to protect national sovereignty. Now with a look ahead at the action in the Premier League this weekend, here's the BBC's John Bennett. The two Manchester clubs get their Premier League seasons underway this weekend. They both had an extra week off after making it to the latter stages of European competitions in August. United get their campaign underway at home to Crystal Palace, who beat them in this fixture at Old Trafford just over a year ago. Donny van der Beek will make his United debut, but the fans are disappointed that he's been the club's only major signing in this transfer window. They're still hoping to bring in Jadon Sancho, but his current club, Borussia Dortmund, are getting more and more confident that they'll keep him. As for Manchester City, Ferran Torres and Nathan Ake are the new faces at the club, hoping to make an impact in their opening match at Wolverhampton Wanderers. Burnley and Aston Villa are the other two teams playing their first matches. Villa host Sheffield United and Burnley are away to Leicester City. Jack Grealish, the Villa captain, signed a new long-term contract this week. Burnley beat Sheffield United in the EFL Cup. Finally, Liverpool and Tottenham fans will be boosted by high-profile new arrivals going into their games at Chelsea and Southampton, respectively. Thiago Alcantara has moved to Liverpool from Bayern Munich and Gareth Bale has re-signed for Spurs on loan. He left to join Real Madrid seven years ago. Reminder of our top story tonight, an Australian judge resigns from Hong Kong's top court, reportedly over the national security law. And that's the news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to good stories covered in this evening's news wrap programme. Former Bar Association Chairman and Barrister Alan Leung says he fears that the 13 remaining foreign non permanent judges on Hong Kong's Court of Final Appeal might also resign following the departure of Australian judge James Spiegelman. Australian broadcaster ABC says Justice Spiegelman quit because of Hong Kong's new national security law. Mr Leung spoke to Jimmy Choi about the resignation. My guess is that Judge Spiegelman, as one of the 14 canaries in the coal mine, has decided to leave the Hong Kong judiciary because 
he fears that judicial autonomy and judicial independence may not be sustainable anymore in Hong Kong. So I think Judge Spiegelman, who, whose tenure had been extended for three years, only in 2019, suddenly served his resignation notice on the chief executive. That must be a sound of uh, warning and a sign of distress that both the Central People's Government and the Hong Kong SAR government must deal with, with some seriousness. What impact do you think this will have on the judiciary? Well, if they do not deal with Judge Spiegelman's concerns and anxieties as soon as possible, then I'm afraid the other remaining 13 canaries may soon leave us as well. Just um, two months ago, um, the uh, president of the UK Supreme Court, Lord Reid, uh, made uh, the comment that they may, not, may no longer be able to send UK judges to Hong Kong to serve on the uh, you know, Court of Final Appeal if the national security law undermines judicial independence. Do you think that this is becoming more and more of a rea reality? Well, I think the ultimatum administered by Lord Reid, who is, of course, also one of our serving uh, non-permanent judges on the Court of Final Appeal and the president of the Supreme Court of the UK, he sounded that ultimatum two months ago. I, at that time, already observed that he must have sensed some danger of judicial independence and judicial autonomy no longer being guaranteed in Hong Kong. And he does not want to continue to send UK top judges to Hong Kong so as to give the world a false security that Hong Kong's judicial system is still alive and kicking. But it is sad and regrettable that Lord Reed's ultimatum was not heeded with appropriate responses that uh, uh, I would uh, expect. And here comes another canary in the coal mine making this decision to leave. So it is really a situation that uh, deserves immediate attention. If Hong Kong is to stay an international financial centre with our rule of law, and independent judiciary continue to be trusted by the free world. What do you think the government should do to regain, uh, so to speak, the confidence of the international community about Hong Kong's you know, judicial independence and the trust of the uh, you know, overseas judges? Well, I, I suppose the easier thing to do is to abandon the national security law. <laughs> Uh, and that will send a clearest message to the world that uh, the free world's concern and anxiety about Hong Kong not holding up to our original constitutional order is being heeded by both the Central People's Government and the Hong Kong SAR government. The government is warning that the next wave of coronavirus infections expected in the winter could be more serious than the last. 
It says it will regularly test thousands of people considered to be at high risk of catching COVID-19, including care home workers, restaurant staff, wet market vendors and public transport drivers. The chairman of the Hong Kong Taxi Council, Dr Hong Wing Tat, told Anna-Marie Evans that they welcome the initiative as it can help convince passengers that taxis are safe. It is a good idea. We have been demanding the government to do this because it's very simple. The um, passengers would like to get into a taxi company which is clean, free of any viruses or germs or anything. So it is important that we pass a message to the passenger. We're now actually doing it through the uh, taxi apps and also a sticker on the taxi body to tell the passenger that this taxi has been cleansed, uh, antiseptic liquid and spray, photocatalyst spray has been applied, so it would be safe to take on a taxi. So we actually um, use the government's uh, regular test when the taxi driver have the negative test result. We now have a label on the taxi. And also through the taxi app, any of the prevailing taxi apps, if you call a taxi, you can see the driver's status, whether the driver has been tested. So we, we want the, the passengers to know that they're taking a taxi is safe. Now, the test will be voluntary. Do you think taxi drivers would like to be regularly tested? Yeah, if there's more business. If now you can see if the passenger knows that is the information they can acquire when they take a taxi. At the prevailing situation, you can see that there's loads of taxis uh, queuing up in taxi stands so they can have the freedom to choose taxi which has clean with antiseptic liquid spray, whatever, and the taxi driver has been tested negative. So that would affect the driver. That would give sort of peer pressure to the driver. But don't some of the drivers the don't some of the drivers share taxis? We use the driver's self sticker. So the driver will bring along their own sticker. Right. And then in the taxi app, if you use an app, it definitely would be the driver specific. So when, when they call the taxi which driver and driver's name would appear in the taxi app. So you can see the information of the taxi driver. Uh, this is uh, one of the information that would appear. So that is the program that actually uh, we are launching uh, with a number of taxi apps. It's anti-virus taxi or clean or clean taxi campaign. Now, are more people taking taxis now as the coronavirus situation improves? Of course, when the government relaxes, uh, say today, the, the uh, pubs and everything and the restaurants can open uh, up to midnight and then the, I think the pubs can be longer as well. So more people go out at night and of course we have more business. But then before this, we have a survey finding out the taxi driver laws uh, most of them lost about 50 to 70 percent of the business. DAB has called on the government to provide free coronas tests for all teachers before face-to-face classes resume in schools next week. The pro-Beijing party says 90 percent of more than 1,300 parents it polled agreed that teaching staff should be tested for COVID-19. 
Lawmaker Horace Chung told Joanne Wong that the government should do more to allay parents' concerns. They hope that the campus can provide a very good and safe, healthy environment for their children. So I think it's quite makes sense that the parents would urge the teaching staff to have the COVID-19 test done before resumption of the school life. I hope that uh, actually because all the teaching staff they are at the front line every day in school to communicate to teach their stu- uh, children. So uh, I think that would be a quite uh, makes uh, makes sense uh, suggestion that all teaching staff should have that done before the resumption. What about the children? What about the students? Should they be tested as well? Certainly, if the government have the resources, we would encourage uh, to have the test on the children. But to some parents, they su- suggest that that may not be as much important as the teaching staff. Why? Because actually all the students are protected by their family before the resumption of school life. So they are kept in, the, uh, I can say, uh, a safe environment in the family. Another talking point recently about the um, resumption of uh, face-to-face classes mm-hmm. next week mm-hmm. is um, the risks for mm-hmm. students and teachers uh, if there, mm-hmm. there's anyone mm-hmm. within the school infected. We have this case of the school in mm-hmm. Moon uh, with a student yeah. infected and the school wanted to suspend classes but mm-hmm. then the, the government actually advised mm-hmm. that it didn't have to do so. Mm-hmm. So um, I understand that your survey also mm-hmm. asked about this as well. What are the views of the parents you polled? And certainly the parents would hope to have, I would say, the measures which can protect their children. So I understand the Education Bureau, they may rely on objective and scientific data and say that it may be good enough for them to just do some uh, prevention measure. There's no need for further closure of the school for seven days before the resumption. But I would say that for the parents, it's not only something about scientific, it's not something about objective. We must also take care of their subjective feelings, that they are very concerned that uh, there are some students in, in the school they are affected by the COVID-19, hope that they can, for, for example, have one bit more for the school to dealt with the school environment. So I hope that I will urge the minister to take care of both objective and subjective before they make any decision about the resumption or suspension of the classes. Next to one woman's story and experience of domestic violence that has raised it to the national platform. Liu Zhengyan was slapped and beaten by her husband, and he dragged her across her shop. She then went up to the second floor and jumped out of the window. This was in the city of Shangqiu in Henan province. As she recovered in hospital, she asked for a divorce, but it was denied. What got her the divorce in the end was that the episode in the shop was filmed by CCTV camera, and there was a huge response after Miss Liu posted it online. The BBC's Bola Mosura spoke about this story with the New York Times China correspondent, Soi Li Wee. Liu Zhengyan is a 24-year-old woman um, who was savagely beaten by her husband uh, in August 2019. Um, For a long time uh, in China, domestic violence was considered a private matter. You know, it was something that was behind closed doors and women were told not to hang their dirty laundry in public. Um, And it was only really in recent years that it became um, a phenomenon that people started talking about. Um, And Miss Liu's case was so significant and shocking to so many people because she had video 
uh, of the beating uh, by her husband. And when she uploaded it on, on WeChat, which is China's dominant social media platform, it, um, it caused a huge outcry. Thousands of internet users rallied to her defense. Um, you know, a billion people, a, there were a billion views on, on that, on her case's hashtag on, on Weibo, which is China's version of Twitter. And reporters flocked to interview her. And she, after that happened, the judge in her case told her, you know, we'll grant you that divorce. Um, and she was really happy when she found out. It's amazing that she wasn't granted a divorce uh, before then, and it took this video, which really takes guts. You know, nobody, wherever they are in the world, no woman that faces domestic violence wants to speak about the horror. So many people are scared to, or, or just, you know, feel so, you know, <laughs> they feel so attacked that to now make it public it is harder. China, though, had introduced new laws in 2016. Has that never given women that form of protection or that that feeling that they are being looked after? Yes, that 2016 uh, anti-domestic law was considered to be a landmark one because for the first time, uh, women could apply for restraining orders uh, against their abusers. Uh, the problem with laws in China is that it's really easy to make one. It's but you know getting it enforced is is another matter altogether, um, especially in a system uh, where these laws are made and enforced by men. Um, so when a lot of these women NGOs have have compiled evidence to show that when a lot of these women go to the police for restraining orders. Um, most of the police officers require a really tall amount of evidence to to get the restraining orders exercised. So they just verbal abuse and they demand uh, physical, uh, photographic evidence of, of the physical abuse, you know, something that a lot of these women cannot come up with. Those stories are part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. The Community Care Fund has launched the Living Subsidy Program for eligible non-public housing and non-CSSA low-income households to relieve their financial pressure. Applications are being handled in phases. Three-person households can submit their applications from now until the 30th of November in person or by mail to designated service units. For details, please visit the Community Care Fund website or call 2180-6666. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Oh yes, it's that time again. For our kind of music, nostalgia. Ray Cudero, all the way to 1 a.m.
credit must be given to Neil Diamond, who composed that song, You Don't Bring Me Flowers. Nostalgia, with Johnny Pearson and his orchestra 